This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. It's Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup at Backheel.com. Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson, Eric Giacometti here with you tonight. Tonight on Seeing Red, it's the Eastern Conference Finals, the Red Bulls against the Columbus Crew, opening at Maffray in Columbus, Sunday at 5 o'clock on ESPN and related streaming products. 400 members of the South Ward are making the overnight bus trip to Columbus, and we have a full preview of what to expect with uh, with the first leg of this two-legged series. We're going to talk to Sal Zizo of the New York Red Bulls for the first time on Seeing Red, get a little bit of insight into his game, making the transition from midfielder to right back. We're going to talk about sold-out games. We're going to answer some emails. We're going to talk about our holiday party. We're going to give our predictions. We're going to do all that tonight on Seeing Red. Dan and Eric, how are you tonight, gentlemen? Doing good. Always a good night with you, too. Oh, you. The Red Bulls will take on Columbus for the fourth time this season, Sunday at Maffray Stadium. Columbus obviously getting by the Montreal impact in two legs on Kay Kamara's extra-time header to send the Columbus crew into the conference finals. The crew will also, like the Red Bulls, be looking to reach their first MLS Cup since 2008 when the two teams met and the crew wound up uh, victorious. Uh, It's the second straight conference finals for the New York Red Bulls. That's never happened before in team history. Of course, 2015 against Columbus... Uh, all the games ended 2-1. to one. New York won the first at the crew when Mike Grella made his audacious chip. July 4th, back in Columbus, it was Anatola Bong with an early goal, and then the Ethan Finley show, two goals from Finley, sunk New York. And then, on October 3rd, at Red Bull Arena, Justin Merrim got an early goal, and then the high press went into full effect against crew keeper Steve Clark, who could not manage Mike Grella's pressing. Two balls coughed up, two goals in the back of the net. New York wins 2-1 in the season series 2-1. Dan, let's start with you. Do these games that New York played against Columbus during the regular season, what can they inform about how the Red Bulls might play? And is is there reason to feel optimistic or pessimistic if you're a Red Bulls fan? Are you trying to get me to say there's no reason at the beginning of the show? No, 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 we'll we'll save that. We'll save that. Um, I I think the games that they've played over the regular season show that New York actually match up very well with Columbus. And I know a lot of people were hoping Columbus would come out of the other side versus Montreal, who got um, very scary late. But I think um, New York has shown that they can achieve success against this uh, Columbus team either at home or on the road playing the high press. So um, it's fascinating that all three of the games ended 2-1, so hopefully we won't see another 2-1 scoreline on, on Sunday evening. But, um, you know, that's and, and saying that they match up well is not to count Columbus out. Columbus is a very good team who have their own style. They like to build from the back. They like to, you know, fling crosses in so Kai Kamara can get up and um, use his verticality to, to head home something. But um, I think it's going to be a great series. Eric K. Kamara certainly would be the MLS MVP, if not for Sebastian Giovinco. He's a guy that is definitely a difference maker in the league, but in three games against the Red Bulls, he was unable to find the back of the net. Given that 
the Red Bulls, of course, will be without Damian Paranel. Uh, can Zubar and Miazga, back from his his first ever cap, manage this this MLS superstar? Yeah, I mean, they, they certainly have their work cut out for them. You know, not not too many uh, tougher tasks in MLS than shutting down someone like Kai Kamara. Because as Jesse Marsh alluded to earlier in the week, he, there's just so many ways he can hurt you, whether it's, you know, finding a, a space in the box or just straight out outleaping you. He's got pace. He's got strength. So there's lots of uh, lots of opportunities for him to find the back of the net. Uh, the interesting thing that I think I'll be looking out for is to see how this crew team will play because, you know, as you as Dan mentioned, uh, the way they play, they building out of the back and, you know, very attractive brand of soccer. But the one time that they beat the Red Bulls, they actually abandoned that and played kind of a Route 1 style <laughs> where they just threw it up to Kamara, had him, you know, nod the ball down. And I think that was the game that Ethan Finley scored two goals. And I think yep. they were both directly off of, the, you know, kind of Route 1 soccer, just lumping it up to their forwards, uh, bypassing the midfield and, and getting goals like that. So, uh, Michael Parkhurst uh, claimed that you know they're going to stick to what got them there, and they're going to play out of the back, and they're going to try to build nicely. But uh, it's nice for the crew to know that you know should that go awry, they have that in their back pocket that they can just you know lump it up to their to their big man up top, and make something happen. And of course, as we know from the Eastern semis, DC played a very ugly lumping the ball forward kind of style, which certainly was able to stymie the New York attack for a lot of the game. Didn't generate a whole lot of chances, I, I think. The crew's attacking core is certainly a lot scarier than Espindola and Sabarillo. Um Columbus 9-4-4 four, four at Maffray this season, which is a good but not great record at home, frankly. They were plus 13 at home, uh, conceded 25 times at home in 17 games. New York, the only team in MLS to have a positive road goal differential at plus 2, and obviously New York has won at Columbus already this season. So, I mean, Dan, it's not like New York is going to be terrified going into Maffray. No, but they have to manage the game carefully. I mean, you obviously want to get those rolled, go- rolled goals. I'm going to say rolled gold at any point rolled tonight. Rolled goals, Because yes. the pretzels are making me thirsty. There you um, go. You know, they, they want those away goals. And they also need to, uh, for the last time during the playoffs, need to be cognizant of yellow card accumulation because – um, after the first leg, the the risk of an accumulation suspension drops off, and so we're still going to be you know on edge about Miazga picking up a yellow or Zubar or now also Sasha and Bradley, um, and you know it, it's one more thing to manage. But I think the team showed in that second leg against DC that they're capable of of defending without picking up uh, cautions. Yes, although they're going to be playing against a guy who kind of thrives on physical contact, unlike Espindola or Sabarillo, who are major league floppers. So um, for the crew, Gaston Saro, their Argentine uh, late signing uh, central defender, will be suspended after he picked up two yellow cards in the Montreal series. The crew, based on my uh, little birds in the uh, crew fandom, uh, are probably going to play Tyson Wall, and Wall is definitely a step down, not only with his comfort level at his feet, but also his distribution, his general play from Sorrow. So New York will definitely have a break there, especially if uh, Bradley's going to be trying to shake one of the central defenders as he kind of lives his life along the six-yard box. Um 
A number of Columbus Crew players, just like Red Bull players, uh, spent the international break playing for their teams. Justin Merrim went all the way to Chinese Taipei to play in a 2 nothing victory for his um, adopted Iraqi homeland. Harrison Awful, sorry, the right back for the crew, played two matches, 90 minutes each, for Ghana. Uh, in their 2-0 qualifying series win over Comoros in um, in Africa. And so, obviously, for New York, you had Miazga just getting a little bit of a taste uh, with the U.S. men's national team playing one game, thankfully. You had Carl Wiemet, who's not starting, play both games for Canada. You also had Kamar Lawrence go the full 90 twice for Jamaica most recently in Haiti. Are those players going to be able to pick it up, Eric? I mean, these are guys, especially at least the Red Bulls players stayed in the hemisphere. You know, Merrim and Awful are important players for Columbus, and they literally were on the other side of the world midweek. Yeah, I mean, that always makes it difficult. I mean, you can't understate the, uh, the, the, the drain it puts on your body from not only playing those big games in, the, as you mentioned, 90 minutes, but having to you know, fly all the way back and reacclimate with the team. So it's it's going to be a big task for them to you know to get back into the side. Uh, I think the Red Bulls really do need to uh, take advantage of that, especially uh, on the crew's defensive end. You know, Awful and and Waylon Francis are very good outside backs, but you know after logging some minutes there internationally, and as you mentioned with Saro being out, whether it's Pogatetz or a wall in the middle, I think either way it's a step down. So I think they absolutely need to get an away goal in Columbus if they uh, if they want to advance in this one. Of course, there's one Columbus Crew player that New York hasn't seen, and he's a very important piece of their success, and that's young Will Trapp. 19 appearances, 3 assists for the central midfielder, who plays a similar role that a Dax McCarty or a, or a Felipe plays for New York, and did not play in any of the matches against New, uh, the Red Bulls this season. Dan, I mean, obviously he's a little bit of an X factor, but this game's going to turn on the on the, the this midfield triangles kind of breaking each other up, aren't it? Isn't it? I, I think it is, and I think that um, I think New York has the slight edge on that. But um, you know, the the mantra about the way the crew have been playing this year is that they've been offensively strong and defensively awful. No pun intended about their defenders mm-hmm. again. Um, yes. So I, I, New York just has to put them to the sword. They have to press. They have to force turnovers. They have to start, you know, making chances and, and battering Steve Clark with shots. All right. Before we get to our predictions for leg one, let's uh, share a little bit of other news. Of course, Mafray Stadium announced today will be sold out on Sunday for the 400 Red Bull fans that are making the trip and everyone watching at home. They're actually putting uh, seats on the stage, kind of like they do when the U.S. men's team plays Mexico there. And for a team that, frankly doesn't often capture the imagination of its home market. Sound familiar? Um, Columbus, I think, has done a really good job in selling out this match, especially uh, 24 hours after Michigan State comes to play Ohio State in football and has sold out the horseshoe. So that's certainly good. And then, of course, the other news is that Red Bull Arena is now officially sold out for the second leg on November 29th. Now, yes, there are certainly tickets available on secondary markets, but Eric, what, what does it mean? What does it say if you're the Red Bulls selling out this game before we even know what happens in the first leg uh, 10 days ahead of time? 
I mean, it's huge for all of the uh, for all the talk about you know the Red Bulls can't sell out this and that. I mean, attendance has been up since last year, and selling out in a playoff game. I mean, it means everything to have that home field advantage to create that atmosphere. I mean, all the players will attest to it how much of it, how much it means to them uh, to have the backing of of their fans. So uh, to have a packed stadium, I mean, in my opinion, one of the best uh, venues in MLS when it's packed and it's as loud as it gets. So it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it should be a whole lot of fun. And now. Of course, there is a a little bit of a short-selling window should the Red Bulls get by and should they are actually able to get to MLS Cup. And with that in mind, the Red Bulls actually have started. If you're listening to the show, the Red Bulls have started selling tickets to a possible... MLS Cup at Red Bull Arena, and if you're a season ticket holder, you certainly should have gotten an email from the team, and the pre-sale has begun. Now, the tickets are, um, frankly, for my money, for my personal opinion, quite reasonable for a championship game. Remember, MLS Cup is an MLS event. It is not a New York Red Bulls event, and the Red Bulls have set pricing as low, the league has set pricing as low as $63 for the match on December 6th. I think they go up to about 250 for club seats. Um, most of the upper deck is this $63 low price ticket. So there's certainly no reason, I think, that, I mean, this isn't going to be a ton of sticker shock, Dan, is it? No, I don't think so. And, I mean, maybe it's just that we haven't had many cup finals in New York. <laughs> but, <laughs> or any. Well, but, I mean, people will remember the 2011 All-Star game. Those tickets were through the roof. And Yeah, that, that, well, that was all paying for Man U to right. come over, wasn't or it? Or the Arsenal-friendly, uh, you know. Right. We, we, we've been through this before, and I think that, I, I was uh, interested that the stadium seems to be rezoned effectively. You're, you are right that the vast majority of tickets uh, behind both goals are $63. So I, I think it's going to be one of the more reasonably priced MLS Cups. Um, I'm sure it's going to spike on the secondary market. So if you would like to go and not have to go through StubHub, I would buy now. Yes. Yeah, it's unfortunate, though, that the team is not guaranteeing your season ticket location. So therefore, you literally just need to buy tickets in the house. And I'm not honestly sure uh, if ticket selection is happening tomorrow when you purchase or you're buying a zone. Um, We're recording Thursday night. But nevertheless, which is also not uncommon for professional sports, if you have a season ticket package, oftentimes for baseball or hockey or somewhere else, you you find yourself in a different location when it comes to your postseason tickets. Um, Don't want to get too much ahead of ourselves and into that. The other big news of the day is that Luis Robles, the goalkeeper of the New York Red Bulls, is the MLS Goalkeeper of the Year for 2015. He's only the second New York player to win that award, the other, of course, being Metro and Everton and U.S. legend Tim Howard. Uh, Eric, there was some consternation among the voting. I guess if uh, it's not voting unless people have an issue with it, though. Yeah, that seems to be the way it always goes, doesn't it? But I mean, you know, all three candidates I think were, you know, definitely good candidates. Three top goalkeepers, uh, but I, th- I think Robles probably earned it over the course of the year. Uh, I-, I was, you know, having this conversation on Twitter with uh, with a Whitecaps fan, asking, you know, what what does he do well? Well, I, see, I said he makes all the saves that you expect him to, and he makes a lot of the ones that you don't expect him to. And you know, not only that, but I think his distribution is very underrated, and how well uh, he could distribute out of the back and and kind of jumpstart the attack that way. So. Uh, I mean, happy for the guy. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. So 
uh, over the course of the year, like I said, uh, he earned my vote for goalkeeper of the year. Dan, now the voting was uh, a little bit of media, a little bit of players, a little bit of clubs themselves, right? I mean, this was, it certainly wasn't a landslide for Robles, but he he was able to get a number of the categories, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, so the 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 weighted voting is uh, one-third club votes, which are club president, coach, GM, and I think communications director, um, okay. one-third media, and one-third players. And if it's a player or a club vote, you're not allowed to vote for candidates from your own team, team um, right. to avoid you know stuffing the box. So um, I believe Robles won the media portion of the vote and the player vote, and I think Bill Hamid took the... Um, club voting uh, slightly. So, you know, the weighted average had Luis winning it. I, I thought it was interesting because so many people were saying that David Osted had such a strong season, and, you know, he did. He put up good numbers. But when none of the three voting blocks decided to uh, <laughs> give, him, <laughs> give it, give to, it him. to him, uh, you know, it, it's a little bizarre. And, you know, people are always going to debate these awards. Um, I'm, I'm sure a number of Red Bulls fans were incensed last year when Bradley didn't win MVP, when, you know, he tied the league's goal-scoring record, and that, that seems to be enough most years to, to win you something. But, you know, the, it, it's an award. What, it's an what, award. What can you do? It's a major award. So congratulations to Luis Robles. Obviously a terrific guy, frequent guest on the show. I think Red Bulls fans couldn't be happier for him. And, of course, in true Luis Robles fashion, he gets up in front of the team and says, this is really all your award. It has nothing to do with me. So that's just kind of the, that's just kind of the way he rolls. Um, before we go to break, uh, we have to give our predictions. But first, uh, Kick TV, the online video YouTube channel, it's All Things Soccer, has a very, very interesting documentary that will debut on Friday, again, if you're listening to this, all about the South Ward and their supporters. So we urge you to go check it out if you are so inclined. We do want to remind you about our Seeing Red holiday party, which will be Wednesday, December 9th, win, lose, or draw, from 6 to 9 p.m. at Legends Bar, 36th, West 33rd Street, right next to the Empire State Building. If you are followers of this show on Facebook, or even if you're not, you can certainly follow the show on Facebook, and then you can go and RSVP for the show. I think we're approaching 100 RSVPs. Uh, The Supporters' Shield will be at the party, which is pretty, pretty cool. So if you haven't had a chance to get up close and personal, not that that. Not up close or personal, but if you get up close or personal with the Sporter Shield, you can take your uh, your photo with it then. Uh, and we will be giving our Bull and Cow of the Year that event. So it's going to be coming up quick as the end of the season is quickly approaching. That's Wednesday, December 9th at 6 p.m. at Legends Bar. And now it's time for predictions before we talk to Sal Zizo. So, Eric, your thoughts only for Leg 1, Red Bulls at Crew. Mm, well... I hate to buck the trend of uh, the 2-1, but I'm actually going to go 1-1 in the first leg. I think uh, the Red Bulls will manage to get a crucial away goal. I think, you know, taking advantage of Saro out of the out of the back line in this game. I think Migrella gets a goal, uh, but I think, you know, despite the fact that they've kept Kai Kamara off the score sheet in their previous three matchups, I think that ends, and I think he manages to find the back of the net. So overall, still a good result for New York. So 1-1? Yep, 1-1. One one. I think I think most Red Bull fans will be very happy with that. Dan, your thoughts on what's going to happen Sunday at five on ESPN? I I am still shocked that this team has not drawn in like six months at this point. <laughs> so I am also going to go with a draw, but I'm going to go with a bigger one. I'm going three three. 
Uh, also because I think I predicted draws for both the DC legs, and that seemed to work. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll go three three. I'm going to uh, I'm going to be the dissenting voice here. I'm going to call it two one for Columbus here. I'm going to call another two one victory, which is not necessarily going to be a bad thing um, for the Red Bulls. Obviously, they would want to come out with at least a draw, but at two one with a key road goal, uh, New York should set itself up decently for a home leg in the second leg, where they're only going to have to uh, win one nothing to to take it. When we're back on Seeing Red, we're going to talk to Sal Zizo, midfielder slash defender for the New York Red Bulls. It's Seeing Red at Backheel.com. You're listening to Seeing Red. We're back at Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup, Backheel.com. Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson, Eric Giacometti. And tonight, for the first time on Seeing Red, our guest tonight, uh, born in San Diego, California, was an All-American as a freshman at UCLA, played for the U.S. in a very talented U-20 World Cup team, and then uh, was able to leverage that performance into three years over in Germany, returned to MLS in 2010, and at the start of this year, joined the New York Red Bulls. It's Sal Zizo joining us at Seeing Red. How are you tonight, sir? I'm good. How are you guys? Thanks for having me. It's absolutely our pleasure to have you on the show. Now, you had a very interesting method at arriving at the club. You were selected by the Blue Meanies across the river in the expansion draft, and then the next day you were traded to the Red Bulls as part of Ryan Mara's loan. What were those two days like for you when you thought you were going to one side of the Hudson River and then wound up uh, on this side? It was kind of funny, actually. Um, I was actually on a cruise with uh, my family, tons of people. My uh, brother-in-law was performing on it. And I uh, didn't think anything of it, really didn't know anything about the expansion draft. And I just remembered saying, oh, you know, the expansion draft happened today. I should, you know, check it out just to see, you know, I'm interested <laughs> to see uh, who got picked. And, you know, the Internet being on the on the cruise ship was like a dollar or, you know, $10 a minute or something crazy like that. But anyways, I, I checked it and saw I was picked by NYCFC, and I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to New York. And, you know, just the, the city itself, I was pretty excited to go to New York City. And um, then when my agent texted me, oh, like, he just, all he said was, you just got traded. I saw an email, and I was like, oh, no. Like, I'm thinking the worst cities that there are possible. And then... um yeah, and then he said, you got traded to the other New York team, and I was like, oh, God, thank you. Like, I didn't even think another New York team was a possibility. I, you know, I thought New York, then, nope, you're not going to New York, and then, like, oh, the other New York team. So it worked out. It couldn't have worked out any better. You know, I love this team, and I, and I love the fans, and I uh, love the stadium, love everything about it. Sal, you guys are getting ready to face Columbus for the fourth time this season. Uh, you've had a bit of success against this team in the past, and you know. So just take us through what what the mood in in the camp is like right now. What's the state of the team uh, heading into this uh, big matchup? Uh, well, I think we're pretty confident. We played them three times, and you know, we, we beat them twice and lost them once, all two one results. Um, you know, they're a good team, though. They're a very good attacking team. They they like to push their outside backs forward and. Um, get crosses in to, to Kamara. Kamara's had a great season. Um, you know, 22 goals, you can't really argue about that. Um, you know, he's, he's a very dangerous player, and Ethan Finley's had another great year. So they have tons of talent for sure, but 
you know, like we've done all year, we're pretty confident. Our, you know, our defense is confident. Our, our team defense is confident. You know, it's not just the back four that um, produced the, the shutouts against D.C. You know, it, it was huge from, you know, Jackson, Felipe, and all the way up. You know, everybody working hard. Um, and, you know, Columbus is a good team, like I've said, you know, before. So, you know, we just got to be ready to go there and fight. So you returned to the lineup as a starter, not in your traditional midfield role, but as a, a fullback. Talk to us a little bit about that conversion and, and learning to play a new position this year. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, the midseason acquisitions, um, you know, during when I was injured uh, were Sean Wright and Gonzalo. And, um, you know, I knew that it was getting crowded up there. And, um, I knew uh, that maybe um, with Cristobal going down that, um, you know, there was a little bit of lack of depth um, on the fullback position. So, I just, you know, Jesse had approached me and said, you know, what did you think about playing, uh, you know, testing out like fullback? And, you know, I said, yeah, I'm interested. You know, I played there before and, uh, you know, played there a little bit in, in Germany, I, I think, uh, for, for um, maybe a couple months and even in preseason my first year uh, or my second year there. And then uh, played there, started there a couple games in Portland. And um, But other than that, you know, not too, too much experience. And so this has obviously been the longest string of games I've had there. And, I feel more and more comfortable every game, you know. Um, at first, I felt like, you know, I was thinking defense, 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 because, you know, I hadn't really ever uh, played there and didn't want to, you know, result in the goal. But as uh, the games have gone on, you know, and the coaches have encouraged me to, you know, get forward more and, you know, make really aggressive, uh, you know, high positions uh, when we have the ball. And, um, it's, it's felt really good. It's felt comfortable. And, you know, the, the team has really uh, made me feel comfortable there. Sal, uh, you left college early for three years in Germany, and I'm just kind of curious about your experience. W- what would you tell your 20-year-old self when it was time to make that decision, knowing kind of how things have turned out for you? And what would you tell maybe a 20-year-old today that's considering making that jump? Oh, I would tell so many things. I think, you know, when I was 20 years old, I, I maybe – wasn't quite, uh, you know, a professional just yet. Um, you know, coming from UCLA, uh, being there for two years, and um, then you know, jumping to to a club in the Bundesliga in a top league, it was it was very very tough to get adjusted to to the type of style of practice, and um, you know, my body just wasn't ready for the everyday grind, and um, mentally wasn't ready. You know, just simple things like getting sleep or hydration or, you know, things that are, are common in a professional athlete. When, when I was young, it was, you know, when you're in college and you're in youth soccer and things just come so easy for you and, you know, you're usually one of the better players in the field no matter what. And just those type of things, I think, had I been better prepared, you know, just uh, just so many things, you know, getting in the weight room early. I remember going into the weight room, you know, three times a week and, uh, you know, my leg just being dead for training, you know, because I wasn't uh, doing the right things off the field. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a tough it's a tough task, you know, not knowing the language, going to a foreign country. But, you know, what I would tell uh, another 20-year-old wanting to go over there is, you know, just, you know, try and make sure, you know, you do everything you can to get on the field because, uh, if you're not playing, which is you know huge at this moment, if you're not playing, then you know you, you tend to get forgot about for for uh, even if you're not playing for a year or two, and um, it's tough to come back from that. 
Sal, you were part of uh, the U-20 World Cup team back in 2007, a pretty successful team, the team that made the quarterfinals. And had a lot, a lot of star power as well with Michael Bradley, Freddie Adu, Josie Altador, and you also had uh, two current teammates in Dax McCarty and Anthony Wallace. Can you just talk to us about what that experience was like and, and having teammates like that now in your team? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, that, that E20 World Cup was kind of my first, you know, uh, you know, huge milestone, and you know, you can call it professional soccer, I guess. Um, you know, I was still at UCLA at the time, and. Um, I was able to kind of parlay that into to signing with Hanover, and the team was, you know, very good. I think, um, you know, we played a 4-3-3, and uh, so many guys, you know, made it to the professional level from there, or were already professionals, and continued to have success at the professional level. Um, and then even the guys that, you know, Freddie do, um, Danny Cicero at the time were, were great players and, and are still playing. Um, Robbie Rogers on the left, Michael Bradley, uh, Josie, just to name a few, and uh, Chris Eichengold. So, I mean, most of the guys are still playing professional, and uh, I just remember, you know, it was a, it was a great experience, and, and I loved every minute of that tournament. And we actually, um, looking back, you know, we could have really done something special. We ended up losing to Austria in the quarterfinals, and then I think we would have played maybe the Czech Republic next, and, and I think those were two teams at the time that, you know, I really think uh, were beatable. So your teammate Luis Robles uh, took home MLS goalkeeper of the year this morning and almost immediately pushed all of the praise and credit for it onto the rest of the team. How has Luis helped you settle into the role of a defender, uh, help organize the back four when you guys are out there? What does he bring to the team? Oh, Luis is, you know, he's a great leader. Um, you know, even though he's not our captain, you know, I consider him one of the top two, three guys on our team that really know how to lead. And, um, you know, he, he doesn't, ever really raise his voice. He's very uh, soft-spoken, but when he speaks, you know, his words are wise, and um, we all tend to listen to him. And, you know, he's had a great year. I'm really happy for him. You know, he's another guy that, you know, played in Germany, kind of got lost over there. And, you know, I feel like we kind of have a lot of those guys, even like a Mike Torella who went off to Europe and kind of got lost over there as well. And, um, you know, I'm happy for him, very happy for him. You know, I'm also happy for our team. Uh, you know, because it's a it's a it's a award that the entire team can be proud of. I think. Sal, the South Ward is bringing over 400 fans to uh, Columbus on Sunday. You, you had a pretty large group at RFK cheering you on. What does having a large traveling contingent do for the team on the field? I mean, it definitely pumps you up. I mean. As soon as you walk out the locker room, going out to jaws for warm up, you, you see him there, and uh, you know you don't know, you don't feel like it's you know Columbus and the stadium versus you. You know you kind of feel like you got a little bit of your crew in the corner, and um, you know they're right there with you fighting on, and it's it's pretty cool to to see that. That's uh, all. All season long, Jesse's kind of preached this motto about you know taking one game at a time, and you know that mantra is really you know seeped down from the top to the bottom, but. Uh, are you taking any interest in the Western Conference Final, given that you know you spent a, a good amount of time with Portland? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, Portland. You know, I, I was there three years, and I really enjoyed my time there. Uh, yeah, I, I watched actually all the playoff games uh, leading up to it. I, I, you know, I was in Kansas City for one year, and then Portland the three previous years. So it was kind of cool watching that game, and then the PKs and. Uh, that was that one was pretty nuts. I think it was 11 PKs. It was one of the 
craziest ones I've seen. But uh, yeah, I definitely you know watch you know even Dallas and Seattle, um, all those games. You know, j- just as a fan, you know, watching those. And and when the time comes, if, if we match up against one of those them in the MLS Cup, then you know, give me an extra uh, scouting report. Uh, speaking of Portland, we, we've heard from a lot of fans asking if your food cart, Zizos FC, will ever make an East Coast debut. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, actually, I've, got, I've gotten that a lot here, surprisingly, uh, you know, being in New York. Um, it was something I had for a couple years in Portland, and my friend had moved back to San Diego, and so we sold it. But, um, you know, you never know. Maybe I'm not saying no, but um, right now it's not the plan. Well, you've got a, a lot of fans that are definitely going to be itching to taste that if it ever if it ever does come back. Certainly, Red Bull fans. Um, Sal, let, let's finish with this one. You recently became a father for the first time. Congratulations! How has being being a dad impacted how you play on the field? It, it actually it has a lot. I feel like I mean, kind of subconsciously, I think um, you know having having a kid and, and seeing you know her every day and. And it kind of makes you want to, um, you know, work hard and, and really, you know, fight for her every every game and every day. Um, you know, at the time she was born, um, it was a pretty uh, – it was early in the season. I think it was kind of in the middle of a string of games. We played like Colorado and Galaxy. Um, you know, and it was kind of a hectic time. You know, I wasn't sleeping much. But uh, ever since then, you know, I've just been training hard and, you know, thinking of her a lot on the field. and. Uh, it, it paid off, I think. There you go. Well, Red Bull fans certainly hope that it pays off for you Sunday at 5 o'clock in Columbus. Sal Zizo wears number 15 for the New York Red Bull. Sal, it was so great talking to you tonight. We wish you all the best with the remaining games this season. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Your emails after this at seeingred at backyield.com. You're listening to Seeing Red. Back on Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Backhill.com, Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson, Eric Giacometti, Conference Finals. This is it. This is the nitty-gritty. Two sold-out stadiums, two teams that hopefully will be going for it. And the only thing I hope is that there isn't a horrendous call by the ref which helps decide this series you know these are two quality teams they play a lot of up-tempo uh attacking ball and i just would hate to see the whole series turn on something that's questionable and uh awful alan chapman is the is the ref for the first leg just as he was a year ago for the first leg in the eastern finals at red bull arena that's scary Okay, two emails tonight. When the team wins, guys, you know, it's the emails are scarce, I think. I don't know. Well, we've also been on break, so, you know. That's true. There's not That's that true. much to it. All right. Here's Nick Farachi that says, Podcast Heroes. Can you update your fans on BWP's quest to set a new two-season goal record? It's something you brought up before, but I'm not sure how close he is. Eric, would you like to enlighten Nick? Yeah, he actually he didn't set the record much like he didn't set the record uh, last year, but he ties Stern John, I believe it was, uh, with 44 goals over two seasons. So you know, not too shabby, right? And he had he had no. the 27, which uh, tied Wondolowski, uh and Roy Lasseter, and then he had the 17 this year. So over two seasons, I'll take 44 goals. Stern John played for the Columbus Crew. 
Can you discuss, continues Nick, Salzizo at right back? He's been doing quite well, but is that still an area of the Columbus staff would be looking to exploit, and should we be concerned? Sal was a terrific interview. Dan, I mean, do, do you think that there's a ton of concern on Jesse Marsh's case for Salzizo right back? I, I don't think there is, and I don't know why. I mean, I understand it's not his natural position, so that it makes sense to to question it, but... I mean, this is a Red Bulls team that won, what is it, uh, nine, Four. nine of their last uh, 13 in the regular season? Yeah. So, um, and, you know, he was playing right back for a good chunk of those. I, I wouldn't be concerned specifically about that. Um, you know, there, there are other areas of the field that I mean, any player on the team has had at least one bad game. So if we're going to, I wouldn't obsess about it personally. Yeah, Sal has started it right back for four of the last five Red Bulls games, and the team has won oh, five of the last six games Sal started. He did not play against Orlando. In the games that he did play, the Red Bulls are 4-1. and one. So there you go. Lastly, says Nick, you uh, and, and a listener gave kudos to whoever in the Red Bull staff have been doing such an excellent job at fitness this year. I must say when I learned early in the season that this was a new wave of tech and fitness at the club, I was shocked. I assumed that all professional teams were deep into such sports science at this time, but a lesson learned for me and wonderful work by the staff in the club. Thanks as always. And you know, I, I don't want to say that there was nothing going on during the previous administration. I just think uh, with Ali Curtis, uh, right from the January town hall, he had mentioned how they are going to bring sports science in a big way into the club and make sure that they were going to be rested and ready and recovered. And you know, short of a few nagging injuries. This has not been a year uh, with a lot of games missed due to injury. Eric, would you say? No, it's actually been pretty remarkable. With uh, I mean, aside from Zubar, who had missed you know a very big portion of the season, they've been relatively healthy. And you know, in terms of the fitness, I know you know it's one of these you know quote unquote narratives that the media likes to run with in terms of you know the, the high pressing and all of that. Uh, but it's a necessity in this system to be as fit as they are, and you know, and being a practice every day. I see it in action the way that uh, when they play their small-sided games and, and the ball goes out of play, Marsh is you know shouting instructions, you know, get the ball back in play, let's go up the tempo, and the way that they they're constantly in motion, uh, it, it's it's really impressive. And the fact that you know that they've lasted this long playing this style, which a lot of people doubted, you know, can it last in the heat? Can it last over 34 games? They're still playing the same way, and they're doing it to great effect. Yeah, they 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 definitely are. Uh, obviously, you know, we talked to Chris Duval on the live pregame, but other than that, and, and Zubar, as you mentioned, it's been pretty pretty good. Um, Gabriel Benavides is with our other email of the day, and he writes. Just wanted to see what your thoughts were on having Gonzalo come in more. Watching this season, I think training more with Grella, Bradley, and Lloyd, he could make some amazing plays if everyone was more in sync with off-the-cuff plays each other is capable of doing. Let's go Bulls, Gabriel Benavides. Obviously, Gonzalo came on and had a really terrific assist on Bradley's goal to sink DC, Dan, um, with Sean Wright Phillips tweaking his hamstring, and I believe he's going to be day-to-day, although aren't we all? Uh, I think Gonzalo would certainly be off the bench first on Sunday afternoon. I, I would agree. Um, I I think he's started uh, fitting into the role a bit better. Obviously, that that um, sublime pass against DC to to finally crack Bill Hamid's wall um, was wonderful. And I, you know, I, I think you've got to keep him in your pocket too. Um, again, 
I mentioned the yellow card accumulation risk in the, the first segment. And, you know, if Bradley has to sit for leg two, God forbid, um, you know, I think he's a natural choice up top. And I think he's getting to the point where it, it'll be a little less frustrating and that he, he could be a reliable starter forward. Yeah, Eric, any thoughts on Verone playing a larger role? Yeah, I'm going to channel my inner chef here and say I don't think there's any question that this guy has <laughs> undoubtedly a lot of talent. Uh, the question for me uh, is, is just how he acclimates into this team. And I, I understand, I mean, just, just look at the track record of, of any big signing in, in you know, midseason. They typically take a little bit of time to you know, adjust to the team, adjust to their playing style, not to mention adjusting to the way of life here, much different than uh, he experienced in Argentina. So uh, sure. you know, he's a very talented individual player. I think we've seen that uh, in short bursts in, you know, during his appearances late in games. Uh, but as I've said countless times, I think he's he's one for the future. He's a young enough guy where they can uh, they can possibly build around him later on. And as a late game sub, uh, throwing him out on the wing when you got some tired legs out there running at defenses, that's a kind of a nightmare matchup. So it's a nice card for uh, Marsh to have in his back pocket. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, um, again, given Sean Wright Phillips's uh, nagging injury, I think Verone uh, can make certainly a difference late in the game if New York wants to push. Perhaps they're behind pushing for um, a late goal to you know, get the game, get the series closer. In fact, take a lead in the series. It's going to be very interesting to see. So uh, that's a Seeing Red in the books, an Eastern Conference Finals version of Seeing Red. Those other podcasts. Most of them, they're done for the year, but not this one. We're going at least two more weeks, and hopefully three. Uh, once again, the match, leg one at Mafray Stadium in Columbus, Ohio, 5 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. Look for possible announcements about some sort of pre-game something with Seeing Red uh, in the early afternoon before the match kicks off. We're hoping to be able to announce something like that uh, as we get closer. We'd like to thank Zal Zizo for coming by for the first time ever on Seeing Red and chatting with us. And I'd like to thank you for listening. For Dan Dickinson and Eric Giacometti, I'm Mark Fishkin saying thank you so much for listening to Seeing Red. Let's go Red Bulls, and we'll certainly be back next week at halftime of this very important Eastern Conference Final Series. Good night, everyone. This has been Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and seeingredny.com.